Now we come to the reading of the text. Today's text comes from Daniel 6, verses 1 through 9. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit, so the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, We will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that for 30 days anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sunnybrook. Greetings to you wherever you find yourself this morning, most of you in your living room, wherever you are. Um, we are in the middle of this series called Life Together, Life Interrupted. And this morning, we're talking about this topic, remembering to pray in the interruption. And uh, as we start to think about that, I would like to ask you a question from the very outset, and that is this. How do you, how do you remind yourself, how do you remember to pray? And as I go throughout my life and throughout the years as I've been a follower of Jesus Christ, there have been a number of different things that I've used, tools that I've put into place in my own life that have help me to remember to pray. For a while, and most of you that might know me and know that my mind will go crazy places all the time, and I can't typically focus on a lot of different things all at once. And so for a while I was journaling. It's not a diary. I want to make that clear. I don't have a diary. I have a prayer journal. But uh, in this prayer journal, I can go back and look throughout the years at different things that I have prayed for and how God has been faithful to me. So I've journaled, and that has helped remind me to pray. I've read through the Psalms, many of them originally written as prayers to God, and I've read those Psalms and prayed them as prayers of my own. And I've even prayed written out prayers, prayers that I've heard, prayers that Jesus urged his disciples to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I've, I've prayed that prayer over and over again. And there's been times where I've even used technology to pray. I've set reminders on my calendar and different parts of the day. It will pop up on the screen of my phone and remind me to pray for certain people, certain situations. And Although I'd like to get up here and tell you, you know, hey, I've done this because I'm such a spiritually mature person because it's just been so natural for me. The truth is, is that most days I do have to remember to pray. Most days I've used the journal. Most days I've used the technology as a, as a crutch. 
when my heart hasn't been there. But there is one thing that I've consistently learned over time that has caused me to pray, and that is whenever I experience interruptions, and not just any interruptions, but typically rather large interruptions have caused me, have driven me to depend on God in prayer. In the text that was just read to us in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, we see a major interruption that has just come into play for God's people. They, at this point, have been brought to a foreign land, captured, taken off into Babylon. And this, if you read throughout Scripture, you see that this is under the direct hand and the direct plan of God as why this was happening. And it wasn't going to be just for a week or two weeks or a month. This was going to be a long time. As a matter of fact, this was going to be for a period of about 70 years. And so here they are in this foreign land, far off, uprooted from their home country, beginning to get stripped of their old past and their history and their culture. Yet we see all throughout the book of Daniel, we see the main theme that God has a plan. That was God's plan. And then there was a king, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon at the time. He also had a plan. And this king goes and he finds four young men, Daniel and his three friends. And if you read through Daniel chapter 1, you see that these young men are, are uh, wise, they're knowledgeable, they're perceptive. They are the best of the best. And Nebuchadnezzar's goal was he was going to take these men, take their identity, take it from them, and begin to indoctrinate them, begin to assimilate them into the laws of the land, the sins of Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. A few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to uh, Poland to meet some of our missionaries that we, that we support in Poland with Proem Ministries. And while we were there, we went to Auschwitz. And while at Auschwitz, obviously all sorts of memories stand out to me, but one of the most distinct is to know that when people went inside that concentration camp during World War II, their names were left behind and they were given a number stitched into the clothes that they were wearing. Oftentimes it would be stamped as a tattoo on them and their names were gone and they were just a number. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes these men, takes their old names, gives them new names. They're no longer this person that they were. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has given them this new identity. Yet God was still faithful to his plan. He was using them as leaders. He was building them up. And ultimately, he was showing himself as consistently faithful. But the truth still stands. There was no denying it. They were in a new land. Life was, as we would say, life was interrupted. And as far as their own country was concerned, they were no longer the ones in control. And there is one distinct thing about the interruption, and specifically the loss of control that we often experience in interruptions that drives us to seek God in prayer. It's control. It's kind of ironic that as you read through Scripture, especially for us as followers of Jesus Christ who claim to believe the Scripture, 
We see consistently throughout the Bible that God presents himself as the one who is in charge. This is the reality. He is in charge. He is above. He is in control, and we are not. You read through the Psalms, and you see this over and over and over again. You see very famous passages like Psalm 23, 4. It says, even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he, he rescued me from all my fears. In Psalm 94, 14 and 19, the Lord will not leave his people or abandon his heritage. When I'm filled with care, some translations call that anxiety. We understand that. When I'm filled with anxiety, it's your comfort that brings me joy. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I dread? And all of those are Psalms. We would agree that they are God's inspired words, yet at the very same time, they are the prayers of people. And I don't think that it's any consequence that it's in prayer that these qualities of God, his attributes, that he is above, beyond, in control, and that we are not. It's in prayer that these things are understood and realized to be true, that he's in control and that we aren't. I had a conversation with my daughter who's 18 years old. Her name's Alyssa. She's a senior in high school this year. And as we were having this conversation, she was, this is near the beginning of this pandemic and all that was unfolding with this. And she began to ask me some different questions like, Dad, do you think that we're going to have graduation? Or Dad, do you think that we're going to have the prom? Or Dad, do you think that we're going to have senior night? Do you think that we're going to have our season? And as she's asking me these questions, it's almost like I could hear it in her voice. It's like she knew. She knew something, something was going to change, and this wasn't going to finish the way that she, or let's be honest, this wasn't going to finish in the way that we thought it was going to finish. And I will never forget her words, what she said to me. It was almost like in, in frustration, almost to the point that she was laughing. And she said, Dad, is this the time where God is going to teach me that I am not in control? Well, we definitely have to keep that as an open option, don't we? And even though in these times when we experience loss, when we experience this feeling that we are not in control, most often when we go to him in prayer, we realize that indeed he is. And so as uh, in groups or wherever you are watching this message, we would like you just to go through a couple different uh, discussion questions. The first one is this. What right now is outside your control that you could submit to God in prayer? And then take a few moments and pray for those needs together. And so we pick up the story in the text that was just read in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. And... God's people are in for yet another large interruption. The superpower of Babylon has now gone down, and there's a new group, the Persians, that have come in and have begun to, to take over the situation. And there was a new leader that was on board. His name was Darius. 
And under Darius, he appointed all of these different mayors, all these different governors, all of these different leaders, administrators, all of this was going on. And like in most situations, when there is a new boss, when there is a new leader, there is all sorts of drama that's going on. People trying to show their importance to get one up on someone else. And all of this is going on at this time. And Daniel has been appointed as one of these administrators, and yet what was consistent with his character continued to be true. It was just like Daniel was completely unmoved by this. In Daniel chapter 6, if you look in verse 3, Daniel is described as having this extraordinary spirit about him. And it was this extraordinary spirit, it was this character, it was this integrity that, that he just had within him that caused this jealousy. And so then they realize, well, we need to take Daniel down. This can't happen. And so they begin to think, well, what can we do? Well, let's find something. Let's see if we can dig something up on Daniel. Let's see if we can get him to go down. And the truth was, the more and more that they looked, they just could not find anything. Yet they knew and they had observed that Daniel, more than anything else, seemed to be committed to his God. And so they came up with an idea. They came up with a, a plan. This is how we can get Daniel to go down. And they go to the king, King Darius. We believe that you are such a good king. We believe that you rule so well. We this is what you do to kings, right? We believe that your kingdom is so large that it's so great. And we believe that there should be so many different people in this kingdom that need to respond to you, that need to obey you. As a matter of fact, what we think that we need to do is we need to create a new rule, a new edict. We would call it today a new addition to the Policy and Procedures Manual. Section 5.2, indention number 1. This is what we think that we need to do in honor of you, O King, of course. What we need to do is we need to make a new policy. If anyone over a period of 30 days is observed worshiping or praying to another man or another God, we believe that this person needs to pay the price. And it needs to be that their life needs to be taken in a rather dramatic way. We would recommend that this person needs to be thrown into a den of lions. Seems rather extreme, yet they got their point across and Darius signed this agreement. And we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 to 12, where it says this happened. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees he prayed and he gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Daniel has done this before. And then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and they asked him about his edict, the new policy. <laughs> Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days any person who petitions any God or man except for you, the king, will be thrown into a lion's den? And the king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. In that very moment, the king, as these men go and find Daniel and report to the king that Daniel is in violation of this agreement. In this moment, the king, King Darius, realizes two things simultaneously. One, he's been tricked. And two, he has to keep his word. 
And the story continues in verse 16. It says, So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. And when he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God whom you continually serve been able to rescue from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. May God send his angel and shut the lion's mouth and they haven't harmed me for I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. And as I read through that text, I think of all things, of all the things that Daniel could have done in this interruption, actually all the interruption in his life leading up to this moment of all of the things that Daniel could have done, why was it that he chose to pray? Now, that's an easy question to answer now, now that we know how all of this ended up. But why was it that Daniel chose to pray? And we don't have any exact answer to that question in Scripture, yet I do believe it wouldn't be a stretch that if we go back and we see the totality of Daniel's life, the life that he lived, chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and now in chapter 6 in the lion's den, that we can see as we put these pieces together of his life and we put them together as a whole, we can find out as to why Daniel prayed over and above all things during the interruption. Now, if you read the story of Daniel's life at all, the first reason why Daniel prayed seems to be pretty obvious, and that is this. Daniel prayed because this is just who he was. Throughout Daniel's life, typically when the opposition, uh, when it began to mount against him, he looked to his God, he trusted in his God, and then he took the very next step and he did the next right thing for God in God's kingdom. This is who he was. And it had to do with very specific decisions that Daniel made. In Daniel chapter 1, we see that he received, that he uh, refused to eat the, the food that the king wanted him to eat. We see Daniel making very, very hard decisions time and time again, specifically with those people who were above him, specifically kings like King Nebuchadnezzar, who was over him, that could make his life very difficult. In interpreting different dreams, he said of him, because King Nebuchadnezzar, you've rebelled against God because you're not living in obedience to him. This was what was going to happen to him. In Daniel 4.25, this is what he says. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, you will be driven away from people to live with wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge, until you come to repentance, King that you would acknowledge the Most High as ruler over human kingdoms, and he gives them to anyone that he wants. And to other leaders like Belshazzar that would come after Nebuchadnezzar, he literally said, look, I saw it. The handwriting is on the wall. The days of your kingdom are coming to an end, and that's going to happen soon. 
And God used Daniel's, Daniel, his decisions, decision after decision after decision, difficult decisions to give Daniel, Daniel favor with those kings, to show that God had a purpose, and ultimately to bring God glory in the end. And those people around Daniel despised him for it. So why was it? that Daniel prayed. I know this is cheesy, but one preacher worded it like this. When others looked down on Daniel, Daniel looked up. And so as a group or whoever you're with there in your discussion questions, I would like you to think about these two questions. One, what difficult decisions have you made that have honored God? And two, what did those decisions cost you? Secondly, I think that Daniel prayed because he recognized uh, God's faithfulness throughout his life and God's faithfulness in the past. And there indeed had been a long past. And typically when we read the book of Daniel, we see Daniel and we see his friends as the Daniel of Daniel chapter one, this bold young man, this teenager, strong young man that's committed to God, daring to be a Daniel. This is just who he was, and he's handsome in appearance. He was the best of the best. And then we take that understanding of Daniel and we import it to all of the other stories that we see in chapter two, three, four, five, and six, even leading up to the lion's den. We viewed Daniel as this young guy that's just been to the gym. He's maxed out. He's taken the mirror selfie to prove it. He's on his way to the CrossFit workout, getting a protein shake on the way. This is the way that we understand him. And this is who that we think that he is his whole entire life. But if you're observant, if you go back to Daniel chapter one and you see that time frame of King Jehoiakim and that year that that happened, and then you fast forward to Daniel chapter six, when Darius comes on the scene, you realize that Daniel is no longer a young man. Most people think that Daniel at this point of the lion's den is somewhere near 70, possibly 80 years old as this situation is upon him. I don't know what it is. There's something about the fact that as we get older, that just causes us to see God's faithfulness to us in a different way. You know, what was the difference between the Daniel, this young, bold, young man of chapter one and this older, more vulnerable, actually more trusting of God, man, in chapter six. What happened? Simply this, years, year after year after year, God's faithfulness displayed to him over and over and over again, God's faithfulness over time. And whether it was the young Daniel of chapter one who was facing young person interruptions in his life, the loss of a graduation or the loss of a season, separation from friends, which at the time seems like I can't go a day without seeing all of my friends, young person problems, interruptions, a wedding that's been delayed or a wedding that was much smaller than what was originally planned, interruptions of a young person's life or the older Daniel, the older man in Daniel chapter six, with the interruptions that also come upon those that have aged and are getting older. You have a retirement account that's cut in half or a retirement account that's been lost altogether. The trials of failing health or the fact that you too are lonely. It's not, you can't go see anyone. People can't come and see you. 
And I'm not equating like losing a retirement account or missing a graduation with comparing that to being thrown in a lion's den. Simply that is not the same thing. But I do think that there is something to be seen that regardless of the kind of interruption that we face, that it's God's faithfulness not only to Daniel, but God's faithfulness to us over the years, over time that sustains us and is most often realized in prayer. But it's not just Daniel's character, and it's not just the faithfulness of God, not over a short period of time, not even the faithfulness of God over a long period of time. Ultimately, Daniel prayed because he trusted God for the future and what was to come. And like we've said time and time again, God's people at this point were in a very, very tough position. Opposition was on them. They were facing an enduring 70 years of God's judgment at the hand of this country, Babylon, and now Persia has come along. And if you read scripture, you see in other passages like Jeremiah chapter 25, that this was at the hand of God. It was under his plan. But you skip just a few chapters over in Jeremiah chapter 29, and this is what it says. God's promise for the future. I will restore you. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. And it was this trust in God's plan that Daniel ultimately prayed. You know, if there's one question that I have asked others and one question that's been asked of myself over the last month or so, it's this. This has been just a common theme. Well, what do you think is going to happen? What do you think is going to happen in the future? And we have all sorts of ideas of what we think is going to happen in the future. And depending on what we think is going to happen in the future, that then leads us to a number of responses that we might have as to what we need to do in light of the future that we think is going to happen. Some people will respond with, you know what, I think we need a, a better strategy for the future. I'm not against strategy. We need to have a good strategy. I would say also that we need to pray and trust God for the future. We need a better plan for the future. Believe me, I love plans, and I hate it when my plans are messed up. I believe in plans. I love them. But we also, uh, we need to pray. And some responses would be, you know what we need to do? Above all things, we need to be safe, and we need to be cautious. And I'm, I'm not saying that we need to be risky. I'm not saying that we don't need to be smart. That, that's actually a good thing to be cautious, and we need to pray. And some responses have been, you know what, I just think this is great. We just need to go back and do what we did. I'm not worried about it. Okay, look, I'm kind of on your team too. I don't think that we need to live in fear. And then we need to pray, and we need to trust God for the future. We need to believe in a God who Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, one day who will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And it's in that hope, it's in that expectation. Sounds a lot like to me that prayer that Jesus urged his disciples to make. That we would pray that God's kingdom would come and that God's will would be done. And it was with that hope and it was with that expectation that Daniel prayed. And it's with that hope, it's with that expectation that we pray 